Okay, thank you, everybody. Let's open our Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 19. Everyone okay with the window still open over there? Doesn't bother anybody? Good. Speak now or forever hold your peace. It feels really good from up here. Matthew 19, let me read again verses 1 through 12. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him, and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, What God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and to put her away? He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb. And there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. And there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. All right. Now, last week we went through this and I placed the emphasis in this passage on what I think is really going on uh, at the heart of it, which is the fact that even though there were great miracles going on here in Judea on the other side of the Jordan, all these Pharisees and religious leaders from Jerusalem could do was come and to try to lay some kind of theological trap for Jesus in the hopes that they might find something to, aha, go out and spread stuff behind his back and everything else and make all sorts of accusations to undermine him, to try to stop him from doing the things that he was doing. As I said, at the root of all of that was the hardness of their hearts. And the issue of divorce and marriage is not itself, I think, the chief point, 
but rather that the Pharisees, because of the hardness of their hearts, could not simply accept Jesus, the Messiah, and all of the wonderful things that were going on right in front of their eyes. And so we spent the time last week going over various things that could pop up in life that we have to guard against because they can cause our hearts to become hard and they can keep our hearts hard. And we don't want to be hard-hearted as we walk through life. We want to be soft-hearted before the Lord. We want to be filled with His Spirit and able to recognize Him at work and follow His leading and His guidance. We want to be humble. We want to have the right perspective on the purposes and goals for His kingdom and His work. We want to be filled with love and filled with His Spirit. And we have to guard against those things, and I won't go over them again, but those things that can cause, even in a Christian, hardness of heart. And I know you may think, well, God is sovereign, and how can a Christian have a hard heart? Well, yes, it's true that God is sovereign, but I am recognizing more and more in my life that in that sovereignty, God doesn't just force things on people. God calls people to Himself, and we're warned by a sovereign God in His Word not to quench His Spirit and not to grieve His Spirit which demands that we conclude that it is possible for us to quench His Spirit and to grieve His Spirit. Brothers and sisters, guard against a hard heart. We all know the verse that says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. And usually what we do is we take that verse and correctly we associate it with the sorts of entertainment we take in, the kinds of conversations that we have, the sorts of relationships that we get involved with, because all of those things can have an effect on our heart that if we are not guarded, can be uh, a negative effect with regards to our faith and our relationship with God. However, I would suggest to you that you must also guard your heart against hardness and against coldness and against becoming a situation where you are not sensitive to the Spirit, quenching and grieving, and not able then to discern what the Lord's will is, which is something that is done with a mind that is filled with His Word and with His Spirit consuming us and filling us and guiding us and teaching us. Okay? So we guard against the hard hearts. Yeah. That's some strong, that's some strong wind over there. It feels good up here, you know. I actually, I, I actually have a clip on the music sheets on my music stand because during practice they were literally like blowing away. So there you go. Now, that was good timing, by the way, too, because that was sort of like the intro, that was like the end of the review and that was maybe God's way of saying, okay, move on. All right, so now, there does, though, with the very shortened time that we allow on Lord's Supper Sundays, That is not to say that we should not pay attention to the specific sayings of Jesus concerning divorce. Because while I think the chief thing that Jesus is doing is responding to the fact that they have hard hearts and think they can trap him and basically pointing out to them that, you know, God wrote that, you know, concession concerning a man writing a certificate of divorce because their hearts were hard just like yours are. 
That's like the main point. But he does say some things about marriage and divorce, doesn't he? Now, in, in the short time I have here today, you know that I'm not going to exhaust everything that the Bible says about marriage and divorce. There is a married, fellows, uh, married couples fellowship coming up. You can come to that. We're talking, uh, we'll talk about some of those things. Whenever I perform a marriage ceremony for a couple in this church, we go through uh, uh, some weeks of, of premarital Bible study and we look at different things that the Bible says about marriage. So today's not the day to cover everything, but Jesus does hit on some things in, some expl- in his explanation that we ought to know specifically about marriage, all right? So the question that comes up in verse 3, if you're looking at the word, is what? Uh, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus' answer is to challenge them about their understanding of God's word because he knows what's coming. So he says to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, stop there, right? What does that show you? Before you even get to the, uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother bit, that part that leads up to you shows what concerning marriage that right from the beginning needs to be acknowledged. God is the ordainer of it, and God is in it. Uh, There's a good number of couples that have gone through the premarital Bible study with me, and perhaps you'll remember that one of the things that I do, a little goofy little thing that I do in the very first session, is I I take a piece of paper, and on the back of it, uh, I draw their names, and like, like I, I draw the names of people, the two people getting married at the bottom of the page. And then up at the top of the page, I draw the name Jesus. And then I draw an arrow between the two people's names, which shows that they're joined with one another in a relationship. But I also draw an arrow that goes from each individual's name up to Jesus, right? Because they're also in a relationship with him. And of course, the the silly little illustration that isn't illustrating anything silly at all. It's, silly. it's illustrating maybe the most important facet of married life in your whole life is that as each one of these points, as each person gets closer and closer to Jesus, they also what? They get closer to each other, right? I think the first thing that you have to say about marriage, and Jesus is pointing it out right here, have you not read... See. They, their mind is on men, men divorcing their wives. Christ's mind is on God, who what? Made them at the beginning, made them male and female. Do you know that when God first created man, he didn't create woman right away, right? That's a significant point. The Bible teaches us that he made Adam, and before he made Eve, this kind of weird-sounding thing happened. In the Garden of Eden, every single one of the other created beings that God made was paraded one at a time before Adam. And he gave them names. You know that, right? This all happened before Eve existed. And the record in the book of Genesis was that none of them were found to be a suitable companion for man. 
Now, look, God did not really think that it was possible that someone from the animal kingdom was going to be a suitable companion for man, no matter how much you love your dogs or your cats. That's not, that's not, the, that's not the point, right? So then, and only then, God causes Adam to fall asleep, takes out the rib, makes woman out of the rib, closes up the flesh. Adam's response is, she's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, and that becomes the foundation for the concept of marriage that Jesus states here. God sometimes does things just to make a point. And if God does something just to make a point, you better get that point. Because I'm telling you, the infinite wisdom that thought of and then brought about the universe did not need to go, oh, you know what? I didn't make a good companion for man. I thought one of these animals might do it, but they wouldn't, so I better make something else. No, that's not how it went. God was purposefully making the point that woman is the perfect, and listen, purposefully custom-designed companion for man in marriage. The Pharisees say, can you, is it lawful for a man just to divorce his wife? Jesus responds by saying, haven't you read your Bibles and seen that God is the author and creator of marriage and did it on purpose? The number one thing that all of us need to recognize about marriage, and I realize that some of you in the room are married I've been married 25 years. Some of you in the room have uh, been married only for a very short time. Some of you in the room have been married more than once. Some of you in the room have been never married. Some of you in the room uh, have been married and are no longer married. God is gracious. The point of Jesus' words is not to like point and say, aha, you, eh, you, eh, you, eh, he's doing it right, you're doing it, no. There's none of that in the kingdom of grace. The point, though, is this. From wherever you're at in your life, married, used to be married, married again, thinking about getting married. From this moment forward, please settle in your heart That marriage is God's. Marriage is from the Lord. And marriage, therefore, is not something, as the vows go, that I say in every wedding that I perform, not to be entered into wantonly or unadvisedly. What do those words mean? Wantonly means you just enter something for the pleasure of it. You don't enter marriage just because you feel like it or for the pleasure of it. And, and you're not to enter it unadvisedly. In other words, you get some instruction and you get some advice and you learn. And then you walk in marriage not based on how you feel and not just based on whim, but you walk in marriage rightly, not wantonly, and you walk in marriage with understanding. You learn what God says. You get counsel. You You learn his precepts and you abide in them because it honors him. 
Point number one that Jesus makes here is that God is in marriage. How do you treat your wife? How are, you, how are you treating your wife? How are you towards your husband? How are you treating your husband? Guys, is your wife happy in your marriage? Do you care? Wives, are your husbands happy in their marriage? Feel in their marriage as they ought, in as much as it's in your power. Can you please remember that God is in your marriage? Especially if you're a Christian. Humble yourself. Pray. Seek God's strength and God's will. Listen, are you not married? Think really carefully about who you might marry. Does he love the Lord? Is she, is she someone who's serious about life? Is he someone who's going to lovingly lead the family in walking in the ever-growing and increasing knowledge of God and serving God? Is she someone who is going to desire to remain devoted to her marriage and her children if God gives them and serving the Lord and honoring the Lord. Ask yourself some questions about God. If you're in a crisis marriage, get help. What's Jesus saying here? Basically what he says is except for sexual immorality, nope. No, you can't just divorce. Getting married is not like having a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You can't just get in And then when you don't like it anymore, get out. Because, listen, listen, listen. Ready? This will be my last little saying. I'll move on to the next point. You ready? You can't just get out because you and the other person are not the only people in it. God's in it. God made it. And he made it for a reason. No time to go into all this, but... He made marriage to be a reflection of the relationship between Jesus and his church. If you've ever come to a wedding here, you've heard me preach about that, so I don't need to today. All right? Number one, God's in it. You can read for yourself Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21 later. That's the verse that says, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And it goes on to talk about how we ought to, in Jesus Christ, submit to one another. Then he launches into, from that point, wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Servants, obey your masters. And so this concept of Christians in proper relationships being submissive is all based on the fact that Jesus Christ is supposed to be the Lord of every relationship in your life. Think about that. God is in it. Number two, what else does Jesus say about marriage here? It is the priority relationship among all human relationships. Also part of the premarital Bible study that I do. But Jesus says something here that's on this. Look, verse 5, 
For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Stop there. When you get married, you leave other things. He says father and mother here, and that's the chief thing. That's the normal, the normal, cor- the normal course of life is that the typical course of life is that when people get married, they're right around the stage in life where they're kind of getting ready to exit their parents' house and go. So that's why that's used. But that, but that doesn't have to exclude other things. That's not always the case. Sometimes people are, are more mature and they're already out on their own. I was. I was already, when I got married, I was already many years removed from my, from my parents' house. Right? But, but the idea is this. It's not just that you leave your parents. The idea is that when you get married, every other relationship in your life, except your relationship with God, every other relationship in your, in your life becomes tied for a second after your marriage. Listen to me. Marriage, there are two things in life. Good things. There are two good things in life that remain from paradise. In the beginning, before man sinned, those two things are work, right? Adam was put in the garden to tend the garden and to keep it. Work is a noble thing that goes back to before there was sin in the world. The other is marriage. Men and women get... Do you ever think about that? Before there was sin in the world, there was marriage. Marriage existed in humanity's perfect state. It's a priority relationship. Did you know that your relationship with your spouse is more important than your relationship with your children? Did you know that? It's very true. It's important for husbands to love their wives. It's important for wives to submit to and love their husbands. It's also important for children to obey their parents and for fathers to love their children and to raise them in the fear and admonishment of the Lord. But first of all, the priority relationship in any house is the relationship between husband and wife. That's the relationship that is illustrated. That's the relationship that illustrates Jesus and his church. Attend to your marriage. It is the priority relationship. Number three, marriage should be pure. Right? Number one, uh, God is in it. Number two, it is the priority relationship. Number three, marriage ought to be pure. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Look, and the two shall become one flesh. See it? In verse six, uh, the end of verse five. That's a quotation. The whole thing is a quotation from Genesis chapter two. Apostle Paul quotes it in Ephesians chapter five as well. Um, that idea of the two becoming one flesh, it has perhaps extended thoughts that you can apply to your marriage when you talk about the two becoming one, just the communion of a husband and wife and how they ought to share with one another and listen to one another and and be there for one another and help one another. But the primary focus is that of romance and sexuality. That's the primary connotation of one flesh. The relationship between a husband and wife needs to be pure. And you need to guard against it becoming impure. Right? Before you enter it, you remain pure. 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 And then when you enter it, you continue being pure. Pure. 
pure. It is exclusive. The book of Hebrews, I believe it is, describes the marriage bed as being pure and undefiled before God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says that husbands and wives should not deprive one another, referring to the sexual relationship between a husband and wife because you leave your spouse vulnerable to temptation when you do. Pure. Marriage relationship needs to be pure. Sexually, it ought to be pure in other ways though too, right? I mean, it ought to be pure in intimacy, which goes beyond just physical relationship, right? There ought to be a purity of intimacy. There are things that I will discuss with Roberta and hear from Roberta that never get said to anybody else. That's how it is. It's always been. As long as I can help it, it's always going to be. Right? And that's how it should be in your marriage too. You're one. The two are one. All right. Number four. Here's maybe the big one. Uh, It's permanent. Marriage was designed to be permanent. Right? That's the point. Yeah, but God said, Moses said, you can write her a certificate of divorce and put her away. That's what Jesus is responding to. You see verse 6? So then, in other words, because God made them from the beginning, male and female, and then because God said a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and their one flesh, because of all that, so then, verse 6 says, They're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. We're not to break up marriages because from the beginning, God intended for marriages to be permanent. Now listen to me. This is not, I am very grateful and thankful that sitting in a congregation like this, there are people who have been married for a long time and have just been married one time, that's it. I'm very grateful there are people in here who have gone through the hardship and hard thing that a divorce is. And, and God has, uh, uh, maybe, maybe they're still in that situation where they're, 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 they're not, they've been divorced and they're still by themselves. There are some maybe who have, gotten divorced and, and then have gotten remarried. There are people in a congregation like this, even a small group like this, and you can imagine if the church is bigger, that uh, there, there are people in all of these situations um, that uh, across, across the whole continuum of, of potential relationships. The point is not to say these things, and Jesus' point is not, listen, listen, listen. Jesus' point is not to say these things so as to heap a guilt over the violation of some legal code on people. We've all sinned. Jesus says if you divorce someone, you, you commit sexual immorality. If you divorce someone and marry another, you commit adultery. Don't forget that Jesus also said if you just look at someone and lust after them in your heart, you've committed adultery. In your heart, right? So the point is not to look at this and then look at somebody else and say, aha! Right? The point of this is to show generally what? 
that marriage is intended to be permanent. And therefore, when you enter marriage, you make sure you enter it now with the mind of Christ, with the redeemed mind, with a mind that is ready to work on it, to keep it, to keep it permanent. Safeguard your marriage. All right? I feel so silly, like, throwing these things out there and moving on to the next point, because like what I just said, safeguard your marriage, merits an entire sermon all by itself. And there's so many things that could be said, right? But... Listen, marriage is intended to be permanent. For time's sake, I'm going to leave it there. Um, Then, uh, the last two points deal with things that will harm a marriage. So the first four points that we've seen in Christ's own words here, God is in marriage. Marriage is the priority relationship. Marriage ought to be pure, and marriage is intended to be permanent. We've all failed. Thank God that he is gracious. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. The point is not that Jesus is beating up people who have made mistakes in their relationships and their lives. The main point is, verse 7 says, the Pharisees think they've got him. You know, it's one of those moments where it's like, ah, we got him. Jesus, this, this rabbi, this Jesus says that don't let anyone break it up. Does he not even know the law of Moses says that we can write her a certificate of divorce and put her away? We've got him. They said, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Well, first of all, Moses didn't do that. If you read in Deuteronomy, it, it speaks of what the passage is specifically about is if a man marries a woman and finds some impurity in her, then he can put her away. And if she goes and marries somebody else and then that marriage ends, she can't go back to the first guy that she was with. Right? That's what, that's what the law that's what the law in Deuteronomy is. They had twisted that for their own purposes. Not all of them. But some of them, this was one of the many things that the Pharisees and religious sects argued about. But some of them had twisted it into, well, obviously then divorce is permissible, right? Well, not really. Jesus explains it and he says, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. They had forgotten because they didn't read or they didn't believe their Bibles that there was an entire history of the world that preceded the law of Moses. And that history went all the way back to Genesis when God established marriage and said the two are one flesh and let not man separate. It was Jesus' conclusion of all of that. One of the things, listen, listen, one of the things that will cause harm in a marriage is hardness of heart. Now, last week's entire message was about the dangers of a hard heart. Let me say to you today now, specifically, hardness of heart, just as it had caused those Pharisees to not be able to even recognize the glory of the Messiah in front of them, hardness of heart towards your spouse will cause grief in your marriage that you neither need nor want and shouldn't be there. The Bible says to husbands that they should not be bitter towards their wives. The Bible says that wives should not be like a continual dripping. 
to their husbands. The Bible says that husbands should love their wives and give themselves for their wives. The Bible says that a, a, a woman can tear down her own house with her own hands in Proverbs. And what it's speaking about is her mouth. All of it stems from the bitterness of heart that can rise up. Look, we're called to love one another and compassion, be compassionate to one another and to forgive one another even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. Don't you think that applies to husbands and wives too? In a marriage, grace and forgiveness must be exercised. And in my own understanding, I leave it primarily on the men who are the leaders I've often thought to myself that in times of strife in marriage, which often, not often, but sometimes they do, they do rise up, I feel like as a man, I'm the one who needs to remember to deliberately interject grace and just stop. You're intended by God to spend your entire life together is the thing that you're going after each other over really worth it? Guys, husbands, inject grace into your marriages, please. Love, does, does not Jesus insert grace into your relationship with Him? Right? Don't we depend on His mercy and His forgiveness and His grace? Your wife depends on it from you. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to, be to her what Jesus is to the church. Okay? But listen, all of us, don't let bitterness, arguments, unforgiveness, don't let those things creep up because they can wreck a marriage. Humble yourselves. Confess your faults to each other, husbands and wives, and, and receive each other when you do. And forgive one another. And ask God to be the Lord in your marriage again. All right? If you're married, and if you're not married, commit to having a marriage like that. And if you were married, and you're not anymore, and, and, and maybe the Lord will lead you to it again someday, just commit to getting it, doing it the right way the next time. You know, Don't sit here with a bunch of regrets. That's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus isn't about heaping regret on his people. He's all about grace. He's all about mercy. He's all about forgiveness. He's all about freedom. But he is also about wisdom. Yes? So we learn from our mistakes and we apply wisdom when we get another chance if he grants that, okay? Finally, sexual immorality. Jesus says what? Here it is, the one thing where he says it's so serious that even Jesus, who just said what God has joined together, let not man separate, now says what? Verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Um, sexual immorality and adultery are so serious that even Jesus, who holds the bar very high for marriage, acknowledges that that will wreck a marriage. When sexual immorality in a marriage happens, it's no longer two being one, but it's three being one. 
or four being one or five being one or whatever, depending on how far that goes. And it's tragedy. The Bible says of sexual immorality in 1 Corinthians 6 that it's the one sin that people commit against their own bodies. Right? Every other sin a man commits outside his body, but sexual immorality, you're actually even committing it against yourself because of the corruption of mind and spirit and flesh that comes through it. And the, the result is your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, when Amy was playing the piano before, she was playing it's all holy, holy, holy. Right? God is holy, and our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and so they're to be kept in sanctification and honor, which is primarily a reference to being sexually pure in your marriage. Guard against sexual immorality. Listen, you ready for this? So serious is sexual immorality. Listen to me. So serious is sexual immorality, not a sin that can't be forgiven, not a sin that is not covered by God's grace, not, a, not, not that, but so serious in its effect on a person's life is sexual immorality that when the issue of should Gentiles get circumcised and keep the law came up, the answer was a resounding no. You're saved by grace. Having begun in the spirit, can you now perfect yourselves in the flesh? Right? So they got together in Jerusalem, Acts 15 records, and wrote a letter, James leading this, they wrote a letter to be delivered to the Gentiles and the churches that told them that they don't need to get circumcised, they don't need to keep the law, but you need to keep yourself from sexual immorality. Right? So, so even though there was a complete like erasing of obligations to the law, that one was like, you know, you need to keep yourself from sexual immorality because of the harm that it can cause to yourself and God loves you. Now, if you fall and pray to it, in, in, in mind or in spirit or in actuality, God can forgive. God can restore. God can cleanse. God is a healer. He is a healer. Go to him. But back up a step and guard your heart from it. Don't allow influences that might push you in that direction. If it's been something you've struggled with in your past, please don't sit here beating yourself up. It's such a common practice among men. That's not to excuse it or minimize it. But the point of Jesus in this passage is not to beat people up, but to show the Pharisees the hardness of their own hearts. But don't be proud and resist the wisdom. Because it is wisdom from God for you to abstain from sexual immorality, or as it says elsewhere in Scripture, flee sexual immorality. Just run. Don't be a hero and think you can tolerate a little of this or a little of that in your life. Run. Okay? We're out of time. I didn't get to the part about the eunuchs. Maybe you're wondering what that's all about. I'm going to save it. And I also don't have time for the last hymn. I'm really sorry about that. I hate cutting hymns out, but needed to say what we said. Would you stand up together with me?